Good morning, church. Coming to you today from the Tom Lockwood Memorial Garden. We are in a sermon series entitled Obey Everything. That's taken from Jesus' Great Commission to make disciples and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So we've been in the Gospel of Matthew looking for the commands of Jesus to obey. Starting with the Sermon on the Mount, we've been camping out in the Beatitudes. And you know, the Beatitudes are these statements that teach us how to have the happy life, the abundant life, the joyful life that we all want. And today we're on the seventh beatitude. There's only two left. And the seventh beatitude is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, and, and it reads as follows. Blessed are the... <clears throat> blessed are the... Wait a minute, I can't read this thing. This is not my prescription. These are the wrong lenses. No wonder I couldn't read them. It reads, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, did you know that Jesus often criticized the religious leaders of his day because they knew their Bibles. Their Bible was the Old Testament. They read the Scripture, but they read it through the wrong lens. They screened what they read through what they thought God wanted. And what they thought God wanted was a scrupulous adherence to the letter of the law. And, and, and so doing, they missed the main thing that God was seeking. And the main thing that God was seeking was something different altogether. It was mercy. For instance, when Jesus chose his 12 disciples, who later became the apostles, one of the men he chose was Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. So that was a surprising choice. Unlike today, tax collectors back then, they did not enjoy the approval and the affection that IRS enjoys today. And so after Jesus had selected Matthew, Matthew had a dinner for Jesus. And he invited many of his friends. Now doctors have doctor friends and lawyers have lawyer friends and preachers have preacher friends. And guess what tax collectors have? They have tax collector friends. So there were a lot of tax collectors and other ne'er-do-wells at this dinner. And because of that, the religious leaders of that day were criticizing Jesus. And they complained to his disciples, saying, Matthew 9:11, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Scum! Now again, I apologize to the IRS. That's not me. That's not how I feel. This is the Pharisees of that day. But Jesus overheard, and of course, he always knew what was going on. And Jesus responded as follows. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. Sick people do. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It was actually their religious understanding that was causing them to miss what God desired most, and that was mercy. Jesus is pointing to the primacy of mercy as we read his word and what God is looking for. It's not out in the periphery. It's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. And this is a caution to us religious types. Sometimes we wind up majoring in the minors for this very reason. Again, what does God desire? Micah 6, 8. He showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we want to spend a few minutes this morning just 
thinking about mercy, seeking to understanding it with a view toward being that merciful person, that person who shows mercy so we can have that blessed life and then receive mercy. I'm going to say five things about mercy today. Number one, mercy is a need. In fact, it is my need. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, I am the worst sinner of them all. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he said, I am the worst sinner of them all. <clears throat> now, again, who wrote that? <laughs> the Apostle Paul, greatest missionary in the history of the church, great proclaimer of the church, wrote most of the New Testament. And, but here's his view of himself and his own need for mercy. I'm the worst of them all. We will never show mercy to others until we see ourselves as needing mercy. Now, Jesus told a story, of, for instance, of two men who went to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee and the other was, again, a tax collector. And the Pharisee gets to the temple and he looks up to heaven and he says, God, I just want to thank you that I am so scrupulous about keeping the letter of the law. He said, I fast twice a week. That's even more than was required. He fasted twice a week. I tithe everything I have. And he said, and most of all, Lord, thank you that I'm not like the tax collector over there, the scum. By the way, who let him into the temple? I just want to thank you. I'm not like him. Meanwhile, the tax collector was praying his own prayer. And he wasn't looking up with his arms stretched out. He wouldn't even look up. He just kept his, his eyes on the ground. And he beat his breast. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, both those guys needed mercy that day. But Jesus said only one of them received mercy. And you know which one it was. It was the tax collector. And by the way, which one of them do you think was a person who showed mercy to others in their lives? Well, it wasn't going to be the Pharisee. It was most likely going to be the tax collector because he was a man who knew that he needed mercy. In Titus 3, 5, Paul writes, God saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. It said that a woman once came to Napoleon and her son was serving in his army and he had broken one of the rules, same rule, two times, and the penalty was death. And she came pleading for his life, pleading for mercy. And Napoleon said, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, I, that's right. If he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. And we, don't, we don't deserve it either. We just need it. It's a need of ours. You know, I went one time to uh, have my pictures taken by Olin Mills, professionally taken. And when I got the proofs, I wasn't real happy. I'm not a complainer, but I went back to the photographer and I said, Sir, these pictures don't do me justice. And he said, Sir, you don't need justice. You need mercy. Now, I can almost hear some of you laughing out there at my expense, maybe a little too much, but you get the point. We don't need justice. We don't want justice. Don't give me justice. We need mercy. Okay, so let's all just say that together in your living room. I need mercy. Great. Here's the second thing about mercy. Mercy is a gift. Mercy is a gift. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1.3, It is by God's great mercy that we have been born again. All right, it's not 
a wage, it's not a paycheck, it's not something that we earn, not even something that we expect. Absolute surprise gift from God. It's unexpected, part of what makes it mercy. You know, back in 1978, the politician Hubert Humphrey passed away, He'd been a member of Congress, and his career had overlapped the career of Richard Nixon. And again, he died in 1978, and they were having his memorial service in Washington, D.C. Big who's who. Everybody who's anybody is there. Past presidents, current president, members of Congress, judges, <clears throat> and they're all there. They're in the room gathering for the memorial service, and Richard Nixon is there, standing over by a wall all by himself. Because, as you may know, four years prior, 1974, Richard Nixon had resigned the presidency in, the, in disgrace over the Watergate scandal. And this was the first time he had been back in Washington in four years. And nobody really knew how to treat him or what to say to him. He was a pariah, basically. So he's all by himself over there by the wall. Until something interesting happened. The president at that time was Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter walks into the room and before he takes a seat, he sees Richard Nixon. He walks right over to Richard Nixon with his hand extended, takes him by the hand, pulls him close in an embrace, and he says, he said, welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. Newsweek magazine wrote of that incident that it was the turning point in the long, lonely ordeal in the wilderness for Richard Nixon. And things began to turn around for him. Now, there were people at the time who said, you know, he didn't deserve that. And there may be people today, if you remember and went through that, you may think, he didn't deserve that. No, he didn't deserve that. It was a complete surprise. It was unexpected. It was a gift. It was a gift of mercy. And we don't deserve mercy either. We come boldly before God in prayer. You probably prayed this morning. I prayed this morning. We come boldly before God's throne of grace in prayer, not because we've done anything to earn His favor, but because we know something about our Father in Heaven. We know that our Father in Heaven delights in giving gifts to His children that they have not earned and that we do not deserve. The Hebrew writer says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we know this. We haven't earned God's mercy. Why should anybody have to earn ours? Just saying. Just saying. Mercy is our great need. Mercy is a gift. Now here's the third thing about mercy. Mercy is a choice. It's a choice. Lamentations 3.23 the Lord's mercies begin afresh every morning. you got to love that verse, right? His mercies are fresh every morning. We wake up in the morning and say, Oh, thank you for a new day, a clean slate. We can say with Paul, forgetting what lies behind. I would just want to forget yesterday, forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to what lies ahead, pressing on to the goal, that for which Christ Jesus has called me, which is what? Righteousness, kingdom righteousness. I'm going to press on, forget the past. God's mercies are fresh every morning. It's an old psalm. The steadfast love of the Lord's never ending. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is the portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. But what if they weren't? What if the mercies of God were not fresh every morning? What if God said to us, okay, tomorrow, no mercy. You're going to have to go a whole day without my mercy. I mean, how long would we last? How long could we get along without God's mercy? Why should anybody have to go without our mercy? Well, Jesus told a story. It's called the story of the the unmerciful servant or the unjust servant. So there's a king who had two servants. And the one owed him a huge amount of money. It's like a billion, equivalent to a billion dollars. Let's call it a trillion dollars, because now we're talking real money. A trillion dollars. And there was no way he was ever going to be able to pay it back. Because he, say, had a minimum wage job. Or, or maybe he was on the CARE Act, and he'd received some you know, some funding and so unemployment. He's, maybe he's making $50,000 a year because now he's under the CARE Act in unemployment. He's still never going to be able to pay back a trillion dollars in a thousand lifetimes. And so he goes to the king and he, he asks for time and he asks for mercy. And the king said, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to wipe out your debt. I'm going to take all that debt on myself. I'm going to crank up the printing press. I'm going to print it up and pay off your debt. I'm going to pay off your, your student loan. I'm going to pay off your car loan. I'm going to pay off your credit card. I'm going to pay off your mortgage. I'm going to pay off what you owe me. You are now totally debt free. And so the servant is, woohoo, praise God, debt free. And then if you know the story, then that servant went out and found his fellow servant. The fellow servant owed him like a hundred bucks. And the servant said, all right, this, this debt is due on demand. Pay it right now, hundred bucks. And his fellow servant said, Please, sir, may I have some more time to pay my debt? Today is Wednesday. I would gladly pay you on Tuesday if I may have some more time. And the servant said, the debt-free servant said, no, no more time. Payable today. And if you don't have it, you're going in prison. You're going to have to sell your wife and your kids and everything you have until every penny is paid. And Jesus said, you know, when news gets back to the king who had forgiven the debt-free servant, all of that debt, how's he going to respond? Well, he responds like this. He said to the debt-free servant, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Now, here's the thing. I need God's mercy today. And I'm going to need God's mercy tomorrow. I already know that. I don't plan to sin tomorrow. I'm not planning to sin. Nevertheless, I know I'm going to need God's mercy tomorrow and for all of my tomorrows. In fact, I need God's grace and mercy just to help me keep from sinning and to obey him tomorrow. Why should I expect God's mercy if I'm not willing to reflect God's mercy. Now, just think, I'm going to read you a verse here, and let's listen to God speaking to us today. Forget the fact that this is live stream, or what a beautiful setting, or Steve's doing a good job, Steve's doing a poor job. Listen 
to God for you. And I will listen to God for me. James 2.13, he says, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Isn't that a sobering statement? There will be no mercy for those, those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. Now, this is not some quid pro quo type thing where we obligate God to show us mercy when we're merciful to others. It's an, it's an affirmation that we understand that our good Father in Heaven wants to relate to us this way. He wants to relate to us with grace and mercy. He wants to forgive us so we can praise Him in confidence and boldness and have, have confidence about our future life with Him. That's what He wants for us. We affirm that by reflecting it. We say amen to it by the way we choose to show that mercy to others. You may have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. She had been in a Nazi concentration camp with her sister Betsy. In fact, her sister passed away in the concentration camp. And after World War II was over, Corrie Ten Boom traveled throughout Germany teaching the message of God's grace. And people in Germany needed to hear it. They needed that message. So in 1947, she had just finished teaching in the basement of a church when a, a man approached her with his hand extended. And he said, Fraulein, what, a, what an amazing message that our sins are forgiven and cast into the bottom of the sea, the, for, the amazing forgiveness of God. Thank you so much. He said, I, I just wanted to extend my hand. And Corey Timboom froze because she recognized this man. He didn't recognize her, but she recognized him as having been one of the guards at the Nazi concentration camp at Ravensbrück, where she had been and where her sister Betsy had died. And her hand did not come out of her pocket. And he went on, he said, Fraulein, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. He said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück since that time. I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruelties that I did to people then. He said, but I would dearly love to hear it from your lips. Do you forgive me, Fraulein? <laughs> she writes that she struggled, and we can understand. She struggled. This was the first time she'd encountered somebody like this in, in her talks and in her travels in Germany, a, a, you know, a former guard who was really either directly or indirectly responsible for her own sister's death and degradation and the suffering she herself had experienced. And she, she was honest and she prayed to God, I, I don't feel anything but animosity toward this man, Lord. But she also knew that Jesus had said, unless you forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And she knew that love and forgiveness was more than a feeling, it's a choice. And she said, God, help me here. Help me to forgive this man. Do something in my cold heart. She said, I can extend my hand if you'll do the rest. And so she put her hand out, and she took his hand, and she said, something happened. God released something in her. It was like a lightning bolt that went from her shoulder through her arm and down into her hand. She pulled him close. She hugged him. And she said, yes, brother, I forgive you with all my heart. And she meant it. And she goes on to write, you would think that after that, forgiveness would have been pretty easy for me. I mean, who else is going to 
cause harm to me like that man did. But she said, I found it wasn't. It, it, it was often difficult to forgive. She said, I discovered that you can't store up grace and, and mercy and, and love. You need to tap into it anew every day. The mercies of God are fresh every morning for us to appropriate for ourselves and for us to show to others. It's a choice. It's a choice. Now, here's a, we're talking about mercy, and we just want to understand it so we can show it. And a fourth thing I want to say about mercy is that mercy is a verb. It's a verb. It's active. Luke 18, 38. <clears throat> Jesus is walking along the road, and there, there are a couple of blind men, and they cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there's an assumption there in, in their words that, that Jesus is going to do something more than just feel bad for them. They don't want Jesus' pity. They want Jesus' power. And pity is passive, but mercy is active. They want Jesus to interact and mediate their suffering, which, of course, he does. Mercy is a verb. Mercy takes action. Think of the, the story of the Good Samaritan, and the man is uh, attacked and robbed and left, wounded by the side of the road, and the Samaritan comes, and he's the one who shows mercy on this victim. Now, he didn't show mercy because he felt bad for him. It's not because he said, well, I feel empathy for this guy. I, mean, I know if that was me, I, I would certainly want somebody to help me. I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over, over this tonight. No. no, he stopped, got off his donkey, dressed his wounds, gave him a lift to the inn, paid for his upkeep, so he incurs any expenses. While I'm gone, I'm, I'll pay them on my way back. He got his hands dirty. He got in there. He was active. Because he was active, that was showing mercy. There's a historian named Rodney Stark who has written a book entitled The Triumph of Christianity, How the Jesus Movement Became the Largest Religion in the World. And he's talking about the infancy of the church and the early growth of Christianity and how that happened. And he makes a great case that one of the factors, one of the factors was the mercy that was shown by the Christians in the early church especially during times of sickness and plagues. For instance, in AD 165, there was a plague that hit the Roman Empire, lasted for 15 years. A lot of medical historians believe it was the first instance of, of smallpox in the West, first instance. And of course, when there are no immunities established, then it's really devastating to a, a population. So with the coronavirus, what do we have? A fraction of a percent or a one or a two percent mortality rate. Well, with this, say with smallpox or whatever the plague was, there was one quarter to one third of the Roman Empire who died. Up to a third of the population died from this plague, whatever it was. And they knew it was contagious. They understood contagion back then. They didn't know about germs, but they understood it was contagious. And what would happen in these pagan homes, you know, non-Christian homes, as soon as somebody showed symptoms, became symptomatic, they'd kick them out in the street. Grandma, looks like you got, you got a symptom. Harry, open the door. Boom, Grandma, out in the street. And you say, well, I don't believe that. No, that's, that's actually how they, they treated people. And so things were a little different, however, in the Christian community. The Christians did not put one another out in the street. They took care of each other. In Christian homes and in the churches, they took care of their own. So number one, the, the survival rate among the Christians was far higher than amongst the pagans just for that reason. But secondly, 
Christians not only took care of their own, they took care of the pagans too. I don't mean this, the word pagan in a demeaning sense, I'm just differentiating between the Christians and those who were not. They took care of the pagans as well. They went out into the streets and took these people into their own homes. And, and in that time, just remedial uh, care, such as food and water and shelter, could make a huge difference in the survival rate. Historians believe if it had not been for the ministrations of the Christians, 75% more could have died, but they didn't. So what happened? A lot of these people recovered because they were cared for by Christians, and you know what they did when they recovered? They converted. They became Christians. And Rodney Stark is saying this, this is a huge factor in the growth, the, the in, tremendous growth of Christianity. In fact, in the 4th century A.D., when another plague struck, the emperor at that time, his name was Emperor Julian, he wrote to the pagan priests, and he begged them, you guys have to get on the stick. you got to help people have grain or wine or, or treat people who are sick to compete with the Christians because we're losing people to the Christians. He actually wrote that, and it fell on deaf ears because the pagans had no similar doctrine to show mercy and grace, to love your neighbors, to love your enemies. And faith matters, and doctrine matters. And they did not have a doctrine of the afterlife like heaven. I mean, they may have believed in some form of the afterlife, kind of a miserable one in the underworld. Whereas the Christians understood, our life here is very brief. We're going to be living on the new heavens and the new earth. So they were not as afraid to die as the non-believers were. I was just thinking about the coronavirus. It doesn't look like the mortality is going to be the big issue for us, and things will be getting back to normal in a couple of weeks or a month or so in that respect. But the economic ramifications, I think, are going to be a very serious factor for us moving forward. We Christians are going to have an opportunity to show mercy to people, to choose maybe to live at a lower standard of living in order to show mercy to people who need it in very practical and pragmatic ways. It's going to be our privilege and it could be a great time of growth for the kingdom of God through mercy evangelism. Okay, just talking about mercy and we just want to say one more thing about what mercy is. Mercy is a risk. Finally, mercy is a risk. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Might be in might be tempting to misinterpret this as Jesus saying, hey, what goes around comes around. You know, if you show mercy to others, they'll be merciful to you. If you're good to other people, they'll be good to you. Well, maybe, maybe not. Mercy, in fact, is not a human quality. It's a spiritual quality. Not always appreciated or lauded or, re or reciprocated in the kingdoms of men. In fact, it probably wouldn't even make sense to do any of this if there were not an overruling king and an otherworldly kingdom to whom we owe our allegiance, and to which we belong. If there is, then it does make sense. Most of the mercy we shall receive will be in the next world, or the next life, and from God. Not all of it, but a lot of it. <clears throat> Years ago, there was a, a little old lady who passed away. She was very little, and she was very old. Uh, she was born in Albania, and when she was 18, she moved to India. And some of you already know who I'm talking about now. Born in Albania, moved to India, talking about Mother Teresa. And for two decades, she taught geology to middle-class students in India. And then she felt the calling of God to minister amongst the poor. So she moved her classroom out to the vacant lots and 
The mud puddles became her blackboards, and she began teaching the poor children. One day she was walking through the slums of India, and she came upon a woman who was dying in the street, half eaten by maggots and rats. But she stooped down, she put this woman's head in her lap and stroked her hair until she died. And she said that it was then that she felt the heart of God saying to her, this is your calling. I want you to minister to the poorest of the poor and the most miserable creatures on earth. And so she did. Uh, she built a home for the destitute and the dying, and for the next 42 years, she ministered to the most miserable creatures on earth. Sometimes people would ask her, why do you do it? And she said, her response was, I, I just feel like when I'm able to do this for someone who needs it, I feel like I'm doing something special for Jesus. Interestingly, Mother Teresa died in the same 24-hour period as Princess Diana. Uh, Mother Teresa's death was covered and it was grieved. But if you were to ask anyone in the world, which of those two women would you rather be? Which kingdom do you think they would choose? There is a sense in which every one of us is given a basin of water and a towel. And our lives are defined by what we do with that basin of water. In the New Testament, in one 24-hour period, one man took his basin of water and he used it to wash his hands. And he said, that person over there is a problem and I don't want to have anything to do with him. I wash my hands. Another man, same 24-hour period, took his basin of water and he washed feet. Two visions of people. One says, people are problems keep your distance. The other says, people have problems, and God has sent me uh, to wash feet and to serve and to show mercy. The question becomes, what are we going to do with our basin of water? Are we going to wash our hands, or are we going to wash others' feet? We're able, and even eager, to show mercy when we understand how much we need mercy and how much our king wants mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. God bless you, church.